HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show was sponsored by Bob's Red Mill, employee-owned and operated, and founded on the principle of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good afternoon, and welcome to the start of the fall season of Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. Before we get um, into this interview for today, I want to just kind of um, talk a little bit about uh, something personal happening in my life. Um, The avid Eating Matters listeners may have noticed that I ended last season a tiny bit earlier than usual. Um, As summer was a super busy and exciting time for me, personally and professionally. Um, I recently accepted a position as the head of community and communications at this awesome new startup called Our Harvest. We're a New York-based online farmer's market and grocery delivery service connecting consumers to the region's most delicious, nutritious, and sustainably produced foods. I'm super thrilled to be working there and, of course, to be continuing to host this podcast where I get to talk about the ongoing barriers to creating a better food system, how to tackle those challenges, and the incredible people doing this work every day. I just want to reiterate for all of you listening that the views that I express on this show are entirely my own. Um, And I will try to keep the shameless plugs about our harvest, which is by far the most exciting and innovative food startup making meaningful changes to our food system today uh, around. (laughs) So I'm already doing super well on that um, promise. But okay, so now that uh, I put all that out there, I want to kind of get on to the topic at hand Um, today. I'm speaking with Jesse Price, editor-in-chief of Eating Well magazine, which recently published its first annual American Food Heroes Awards. This article highlights and honors 10 individuals tackling the biggest food sustainability and nutrition issues of today, many of whom, I'm delighted to say, have been interviewed in the past right here on Eating Matters. Um, Created to shine a light on the positive changes 
is happening in our food system today. The inaugural awards honors heroes who are making, who are working actively to address a diverse set of challenges, from cleaning up fast food to making healthier uh, school lunches. Um, and I'm so very pleased that it has brought Jesse to our show today. Welcome. Hey, Jenna. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. Um, okay, so before we dig into the awardees specifically, I wanted to talk about the magazine um, first. Uh, to me, I've always thought of Eating Well as a magazine that focuses mostly on health and nutrition. Uh, so I'm wondering if this article on food policy is a, is a bit of a departure for the publication. Yeah, I mean, you are right. We are all about healthy food. That is very core to our brand. Um, but since the beginning, we have also really focused on what we call origins, um, meaning where your food comes from, the stories behind it, stories about how that food is produced, um, and in some cases, food politics, food policy, you know, what's going on, you know, with the USDA, all that sort of stuff. So um, we have been telling those stories for a long time at Eating Well, but it is definitely um, less, in some ways, uh, glitzy than the pretty, you know, food pictures, which mm-hmm. everyone sort of, you know, flips through the magazine and goes, mm, you know, yeah. I want to eat, you know. Yes. So. Yeah, I know. Food, I mean, food policy to me is like the most exciting thing, but I feel like I'm a, a little bit in the minority in that um, in that category, but um, I'm equally super excited to look at b- delicious picture, you know, pictures of delicious looking food and a gorgeous magazine. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. But you know, I mean, that's, there are a lot of beautiful food magazines out there today. Um, and, and, you know, our take on also writing about the stories behind the food and food origins is something that does set us apart a little bit. And we've been doing it for a long time. Do you think that this article, um, or kind of the, the, yeah, this article is is reflective, just honoring these people basically is reflective of an overall trend um, of your readers becoming more interested in policy issues? Well, I think what it's reflective of is a trend that's going on at large. So I think our readers have always been interested in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is we're finding holy moly, this is going totally mainstream today. Um, you know, whereas 10 years ago, I think um, it was sort of like a small, ardent, you know, bunch of people who were interested in this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Today, um, I think so many more people are aware of um, sort of what's going on with food, the important matters, um, and sort of the whole good food movement, if you will. What? What topics, I mean, because the, the awardees, for instance, ran ran the gamut, um, but I'm wondering kind of what topics that you have seen maybe per- personally in your work that people are particularly drawn to or that you've heard from your readership that they want to see more of? Well, you know, I mean, I think food waste, for example, is a perfect, um, perfect example of a topic that um, sort of came out of, you know, it wasn't something we talked about even five years ago mm-hmm. very much. And um, I sort of started seeing, oh, wow, there's all these really innovative things happening to combat food waste. And there's mm-hmm. these events going on to raise awareness about food waste. And suddenly people were talking about it. So we thought, oh, let's cover this in the magazine. You know, maybe it's a little fringy, but let's cover it. And this is about four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So we did our first story, and our readers 
ranked it. So we have these issue surveys where we, you know, ask readers what they think about stories. They ranked it super high, both in terms of having learned something, but also in terms of changing the way they did things and just in terms of overall appeal for the article. And that's a topic which, you know, food waste, I think we've continued to cover um, over the past few years again and again because there's just so much happening around it and Mm -hmm. people are getting so much more interested in it and aware about it. Mm, That's great. Um, Okay, so there were 10 people nominated, right? And they really, like I said, ran the gamut from issue areas, um, you know, from advocacy to industry, from nutrition to sustainability. Um, so super wide range. Uh, and I'm wondering what the criteria and process was for determining who is nominated and then eventually selected. Yeah, so this was really fun to develop this whole thing. You know, we um, I have been talking about doing this probably for about two and a half years. And, mm. um, you know, I came up with the idea because I thought, you know, it, We've been writing about these sorts of people doing really amazing things, Mm -hmm. but we've never had this comprehensive list where we said, all right, you know, 2017, here are the 10 leaders that we need to celebrate right now and shed light on what they're doing and, um, you know, make our readers aware of um, and honor them, too. And so what we did was we looked at all sorts of other awards programs first. You know, we sort of looked at what was out there and we went, huh, this is how these guys do it, this is how they do it. And we came up with a system that worked for us and worked for, um, you know, what we wanted to accomplish. So we sent out a call for nominations Mm -hmm. um, and we sent it out to a long list of experts, industry experts that we put together. Um, and it was arranged from, you know, uh, you know, professors and scientists to journalists. Um, it, it was sort of a, a really spanned a wide spectrum of different people who knew a lot about food. So we sent out this call for nominations. And at the same time, we also put it out on social media. Um, you know, so we put it out on our Twitter feed and on, on our Facebook. And we just said, hey, you know, we're launching this inaugural list. Please send us your candidates mm-hmm. um, and tell us a little bit about why you think they deserve it. Um, and, and that was it. So we got in our nominations. Um, we started doing a ton of digging. I mean, a lot of these people we already were aware of. Right. Um, but we wanted, you know, to really dig in and say, okay, we, we wanted people who were doing something right now, you know, so it was timely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted some people who had, were having a big impact, right? Mm-hmm. So we write about people who are having an impact right in their, you know, town or in their locality, their smaller sphere all the time. But we wanted these people to be having sort of outsized impacts on food. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it. Um, once we went through, you know, like the whole list and we did all the research on everyone, then we basically sat down, um, a bunch of our editors and I sat down and just started talking and weeding. And it was many hours and many sessions of going, this person or this person? <laughs> all right, this person's getting kicked out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got it down to 10. And like you said, uh, you know, part of the aim was, you know, this is an editorial list, so that means we get to be the judges, mm-hmm. the judge and jury on it. And it means that um, 
you know, we, we could make sure that we had a, a list of 10 people who represented many different aspects of what's going on in food right now. Um, you know, yeah, you could find 10 people all working on better school lunches, and that could be your list, but that wasn't really what we were after. We really wanted this broad array, and I think, I think we got that. Yeah, absolutely. You certainly, certainly did, and... Um I personally think your selections were incredible. <laughs> I think you really highlighted Thanks, some people. Jenna. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I, you've got the eating matters seal of approval. <laughs> I love it. No, I but, love it. I'm going to stamp it on the front of the magazine next <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, you, you uh, highlighted some people who um, are doing super meaningful, impactful work that maybe hadn't been um, in the national spotlight as much and deserve to be and um, and we'll talk about some of those individuals in a minute but I'm wondering if you can can you just give us kind of a, a rundown quickly of the of the those 10 individuals who were selected yeah sure so I'll just go through them in an order so we have um, our first one is Jose Andres the chef and owner of think food group in Washington DC and um, we put him on here. I think this is a particularly 2017 pick because of what he's doing to stand up and fight for immigration reform. And, yeah. you know, two years ago, I don't think that would have necessarily been um, a topic that would have made it onto this list, but um, it's been so much in the news right now, and it actually has such a huge tie to food. You know, it, it impacts both, um, you know, people working in the hospitality industry mm-hmm. and also it really impacts farm workers. Yeah. And that's why I felt like um, what Jose was doing really made sense to highlight this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then um, our next one is Betty Wiggins, who um, I know you want to talk about a little bit more, but Betty yeah. is amazing. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into her a little bit more deeply, but she is a school food guru, and she was in the Detroit school district and absolutely overhauled that school district, um, and then she just moved down to Houston, so she's just gotten started there, and um, obviously they're having a lot of problems this fall yeah. down in Houston, so I think she will have her hands totally full yeah, um, on a number of levels. Definitely. Um, our next one is Margot Wooten, and um, she, so, so th- this is like, you know, a real policy wonk. Yeah. Um, she works for the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and she is the director of nutrition policy for them. And her big push has been around advocating for getting um, calorie labeling on menus across the U.S. Yeah, which has um, been an ongoing battle. Yeah. I mean, when we first picked her, we thought that um, that was going to be enacted this year. It actually was set to be enacted this year. Um, And then the Trump administration put a hold on it um, Mm -hmm. at the last minute. So it didn't end up happening. But she is so positive. Um, She's just like, hey, you know, this isn't the first road bump I've had in this fight for menu labeling. You know, this isn't the end of the, the road here. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's been delayed, I think, for even longer. And it's just this is just one more setback. But I feel like she's um, ready for the up to the challenge. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, um, 
then then we have Lee DeHaan, and he um, is a scientist. He's a lead scientist on the Kernza domestication program at the Land Institute in Kansas. Um, so for those of you guys who aren't aware of the Land Institute, the big um, sort of vision of the Land Institute is to develop um, perennials so that um, we're not plowing up our fields every year. So Lee DeHaan has been working on perennial wheat called Kernza, and um, it, it is actually being grown now, not just in test plots. It's actually being grown and turned into food on a limited basis, um, but it, I think it is going to get bigger and bigger, and it's a huge um, huge win that they actually have um, wheat that can grow and, uh, you know, keep growing this way perennially and not have to be plowed up year after year. Okay, okay. Um, and then next next one we have is Bren Smith. Um, so Bren is uh, a, well, you know, a, he is something that you doesn't even exist, never existed before. He's not a fisherman. He is not exactly just a aquaculturist. He is a 3DC farmer, um, and he's growing um, kelp, and he's also growing shellfish on these 3D aquaculture farms that he has developed. And um, what's cool about Bren, I think, is that he has not only created this model of how to do it for himself, um, and he's actively growing the kelp and the shellfish, he's now started a nonprofit to help other farmers um, use his system and get up and running growing this stuff all along um, our coast, first on the East Coast, but then also on the West Coast as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's he's uh, his work is super interesting. I'm excited to see it progress. Me too. I'm very excited. So this year they're just um, I think they're launching their first 25 farms. But, you know, the vision is for it to be absolutely enormous. Yeah. So I you had two industry people on the list, which I thought was really interesting. And especially as a as a magazine who has, you know, such a heavy emphasis on kind of food nutrition, I'm wondering yeah. if, if there was some kind of uh, question from your, from your readership as to why representatives from big food and from fast food made this list. So can you tell me a little bit about those two individuals? Yeah. Okay. So um, we put on um, Ron Shake, the CEO of Panera Bread, and Denise Morrison, the CEO of Campbell's. Um, and that was very purposeful. Um, I, it, I believe that um, there is really great stuff happening in food um, in all areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happening in big food. It's happening in fast food. There are positive changes happening everywhere. And what I love about both of these, Panera and Campbell's, is that they both are creating food that's really accessible. It's not expensive. It's totally available. Anyone can find it. Um, And I think that is really essential to talk about because we don't want to just talk about these things that are, um, you know, inaccessible. You know, Kernza, for example, I think is really cool, this perennial wheat. But, you know, my readers probably aren't going to go out and get a piece of bread baked with Kernza. Mm -hmm. But can they go to Panera? Yeah. And are they going to feel confident that the Panera... 
um, menu has a clean list of ingredients? Yes, they are, um, because that's you know that that's what Ron Shake is on the list for mm-hmm. is um, having implemented his no-no list, which he sort of came out in 2014 and said, okay, here's this list of a couple hundred ingredients that are in our food um, or could potentially be in our food, and we are going to absolutely scrub every one of our recipes to get them out of our food. And they accomplished that in 2017. To me, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, too, too often the advocacy... Um, there's a there's a very wide. It's, it's important to kind of recon, recognize the good work that everybody's doing. Uh, yeah. That's moving in the right direction overall, um, which sometimes is difficult to <laughs> to do, uh, especially you know for advocates to, to acknowledge. But but right. you know everyone. And I think you know it's you know these change. Everything's not going to be perfect overnight. You know it's small changes, but mm-hmm. they do make a difference and. You know, you have to sort of like set a benchmark and then, you know, in five years and 10 years, look back and yeah. you go, wow, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah. and you, and you eggs are now cage free and all the fast food chains or whatever it is. You yeah. know, and you need chicken is now antibiotic free. You know, yeah. hopefully we're going to say in a few more years, hopefully, but you, like that, you where, also need the advocacy community. So I should, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say you need the advocacy community to continue to um, make sure that these promises are being met and that there is total transparency. Transparency on all sides. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely agree. That's how to put that in. <laughs> um, okay, so I we've got a few more awesome individuals to talk about, but before um, we get into the rest of it, I just want to take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors. But um, we'll learn more when we come back. Stay tuned. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company, but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years, and plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an owner. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife, Charlie, started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today, they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. The company now has an employee stock ownership plan, or ESOP, Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's, it's more than just a job, and, and obviously it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. 
Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best-tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today I'm speaking with Jesse Price, editor-in-chief of Eating Well, about the first uh, their first annual American Food Heroes Award. And um, I have to say, I think that was the first time one of our um, sponsorship uh, drops has um, scooped <laughs> scooped uh, the uh, interviewer. So <laughs> the show. Uh, yeah, so I hadn't heard that one before, but it was, it was all true and all amazing. And I was going to say, um, we absolutely have to talk about Bob. Um, before the break, I was going to say we have to talk about Bob, um, of Bob's Red Mill, who is a very important and generous supporter of HRN and who was on your list. So yeah. what, what else can you tell us about Bob and why he made the list that we didn't just hear about? <laughs> well, honestly, that was the most amazing commercial. Yeah. It really did go over almost everything, uh, <laughs> you know, all the reasons why we wanted to pick Bob. There we go. I, mean, I feel like Bob made the list because, I, I, you know, A, it's whole grains, right? And yeah. I think just that in and of itself, like we would not have the amazing availability of all sorts of cool grains if it weren't for Bob. Um, and he, he's been working on this since the 60s, right? Yeah. Um, so that in and of itself is great. But what I love about Bob and, you know, it's his, um, I think it's sort of a form of social justice. It's all about treating his workers right. And I think, you know, that's reflected in the fact that he gave his company to his employees. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, I think that's unbelievable. Um, I think he's also been super generous. He's given millions of dollars to research, university research programs. Um, so I think, you know, that's obviously also a very big deal. And, you know, Bob's 88 now. So um, it wasn't anything necessarily that happened in 2017, but it's it's almost like a lifetime achievement award for Bob, I feel like. Yeah, yes. Um, and we obviously love him here at HRN and are super grateful of um, of the support of the company. So um, that was really funny, though. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, there's a couple that we haven't um, talked about, and I think that we should uh, hear a little bit about Lindsay. Do you want to tell us... Yeah. Who she is? Sure. So Lindsay Shute, she is the director, co-founder and director of um, the National Young Farmers Coalition, which is an advocacy group. And, um, you know, there's a line in this piece that says, over the next 20 years, as much as two-thirds of American farm farmland will change hands as older farmers die or retire. So two-thirds of our farmland, that is an enormous number, and that's mm -hmm. why the Young Farmers Coalition is so important, and Lindsay's work is so important. What she is doing is really advocating for people who want to become farmers and need help getting up and running, so maybe they don't have a family farm that they're inheriting. Um, this group helps them get on land, so it helps them work with land trusts, 
get actual land, um, but it also helps them get loans for equipment for all that stuff they need to get up and running. So yeah. I think, um, you know, that organization is a very cool one and, and one, you know, my readers may not have heard about. So I love that they're on the list. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, you know, even more important because the like average age of a farmer is uh, I don't know, late 50s, 60s, yes. um, early 60s. And so there's this huge um, uh, kind of upcoming challenge of not a lot of young farmers wanting to to do this work. Um, and it's going to be a really big problem for us if we don't kind of find ways to um, incentivize and encourage the next generation to go into farming because without farmers, we have no food. Yeah, <laughs> Which, absolutely. Um, that could be a really big problem. So, yeah, so her yeah. work is... Uh, <laughs> Her work is really exciting. It is very exciting. Um, and, and that also sort of ties in with the last hero that I don't think we've talked about yet, which is Tim Joseph, mm-hmm. who's the founder and CEO of Maple Hill Creamery. And um, basically, Tim was doing dairy. He decided to go organic. Um, he had some struggles there, and he decided, you know what? Organic is good, but I want to go grass-fed, mm-hmm. 100% grass-fed, because his belief is that by um, really uh, managing your land well and rotating your um, herd carefully, that you will be improving the land, improving the health of the soil, um, thereby sequestering carbon in the soil and also reducing the amount of runoff that comes from your land. And so he did this on his farm, and then he started recruiting small farms around New York. So I think he has 100 farms in what he calls his milk shed now. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are all growing or raising cows, dairy cows, the same way that he is, which is 100% grass and really working um, to restore the health of the land. Yeah, I think this was exciting because this is kind of something that um, this is like representative of a bit of a trend that we've definitely seen take hold in the past, you know, cu- like couple of years about this push towards grass fed um, and not just in dairy, but also, you know, in general kind of raising awareness about um, problems in the meat industry and the need to feed cows what they are biologically meant to eat. <laughs> so this, I think, was a, a great ad and, and somebody who's you know, representative of the direction that a lot of farmers are moving. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that grass-fed um, and awareness and interest in it is just, you know, it, it's it's getting bigger, but it is about to explode. Um, yeah, yes, definitely. Um, okay, so I want to, like, circle back to, um, to a, two people that I kind of have some remaining questions about. Um, and the first one was uh, Lee Dehan. So we, you talked about how he is developing um, a perennial variety of wheat um, and that it's a big win. And I'm wondering kind of why this is, like, and what effect this work could have for the food system moving forward. Okay, so I'll paint this sort of with a broad brush. So, um, you know, the huge plains of America back in the day, you know, before white folks got out there, were these really, really rich grasslands, right? Mm -hmm. And they were never plowed up. They weren't farmed. They were just wild grasslands. Um, And there was a lot of nutrients in the soil, and those grasslands retained a lot of water, right? And they also sequestered a lot of carbon, 
Um, once we got out there and settled, you know, the plains of the U.S., we started farming them and we started tilling them. Um, the result of all that tilling is um, we are releasing carbon um, and we're also allowing a lot of water to run off of the land. Um, that's like a gross oversimplification, but mm-hmm. that's the gist of the idea. Um, and the idea that Wes Jackson originally had, who's the founder of the Land Institute and who Lee DeHaan works for, was, hey, let's stop you know, plowing up all our land and exposing this soil and releasing this carbon. Let's create perennial varieties of grains. Um, and the idea is they grow all year round. You never have to um, plow up the land, mm-hmm. um, and they can grow in combination with one another. And they can just be cut down and harvested, and the plant is still there. It has these really, really long roots. Um, I think the Kernza plant has roots that are something like 10 feet into wow. the ground. Wow. Um, and that means that the ground and the soil and the nutrients all stay intact. So I, I hope that was a good explanation. Yeah, but absolutely. It was a bit of an oversimplification, but that's the general idea of why a perennial wheatgrass is important. Um, so is this does this have anything to do with uh, genetic modification? I know that's like a big buzzword in the field, and people automatically think, um, GMOs are bad, and that's a whole other conversation that we can have. But is this a outcome of genetic modification, the work that he's doing? No, so it's not. It's, it's hybridized wheat, so it's crossed wheat. You know, they've taken different varieties and crossed them um, to come up with this variety. It's not genetically modified. Um, they have mapped the genome of the Kernza plant. Um, they are not planning to genetically modify it, but the genome map will let them um, much more quickly continue to um, breed it to make it even more successfully, su- make it even more successful um, to grow on a commercial basis. And then the idea being that this will, um, this, this wheat will be available, like you are going to start to see this in much more commercially utilized products? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So um, it is in Patagonia's beer right now. They have a beer called Long Root Ale. Patagonia Provisions. Um, And then Cascadian Farms, the cereal company, Mm -hmm. which is owned by General Mills, um, will also have Kernza in one of their cereals, I believe. It Hmm. may already be out there on the shelves, but um, they were announcing that last uh, March out at Expo West. Oh, all right. Look for Kernza. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then one more question. Um, I want to get back to Betty. And, you know, she, I am from the Detroit area, so I'm a little okay. bit um, biased and <laughs> <laughs> to highlight some of the great people who have done meaningful work there. But um, can you, you know, I, I, I particularly really appreciated to see um, her and then just generally some a food service director on this list because so often they, they tend to be the people uh, that that one points to as the reason why school meals can be so unhealthy, um, despite a system that's basically evolved to all but prevent, you know, being able to feed kids nutritious food. Um, and those who are working actively and tirelessly are all, often like the unsung heroes um, oh. of, of kind of the food system change. So um, I want to, you know, if you could give us just a little bit more of an overview about some of the work she did in Detroit, um, 
you know, and what she kind of hopes to do in Houston, which I understand is a much, much larger school district. Yeah. Um, so I think Betty is amazing. She seems like she is just a total pragmatist. She tells it like it is. Yeah. Yeah. She's very outspoken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She does not mess around. So, um, you know, she went into the Detroit school district, like many of the districts in the U.S. It was not in great shape in terms of, um, the, the school food programs, um, she really, really overhauled it. So um, she made it so that all 57,000 students in the district at 141 schools could get three meals a day, up to three meals a day for free, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, she also put in a lot of school gardens, so 80 school gardens, six hoop houses, and a two-and-a-half-acre production farm within the Detroit city limits. And, um, you know, what I think is especially cool about her is that she's not, you know, she's not precious. As I said, she's totally pragmatic. So um, she, in Detroit, was working with schools that had totally outdated kitchens that were not set up to cook from scratch. And she said, okay, well, that's all right. We can still put healthy food on the table, even if we're not cooking, you know, all local food, you know, all from scratch. Um, and, and she said, you know, brown rice, black-eyed peas, frozen vegetables, you know, pre-cooked chicken breasts, that's fine. You know, it, it's, it may not be perfect, but it's a whole lot better and it's definitely healthy for these kids. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, implementing universal school meals especially is so important. And she did these, she made these changes in a district with not a lot of money. And uh, I think that that just goes to show you. I feel like if you can do it in Detroit, you can do it, um, you know, almost almost anywhere because she yeah, certainly no had Yeah, no kidding. A- I mean... I, I hope she is successful in Houston. So that school district has 215,000 public school students. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's obviously not the same situation as Detroit in terms of the finances of the city, um, I, I, I assume, are much better. Yes. And, and like you said, she has her work cut out for her with all of the um, with, you know, the Hurricane Harvey and all the yeah. rebuilding that has to happen there. Um, OK, so we've got time for two more questions. And the first I wanted to ask you is, was there anybody who initially you were surprised to see kind of come up on this list and that you were maybe like, like, oh, I don't like, oh, this person. Um, you know, I I did not know most of these people. I I kind of knew about. I didn't know about Margot Wooten from the um, CSPI Center for Science and the Public Interest. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about her, and she, you know, came, came whatever. She was nominated, and I started reading about her, and I went, "Wow, she is really cool, amazing." She's a great example of a sort of a behind-the-scenes yeah. advocate yes. who maybe didn't have a big profile but was doing really important stuff. Oh, yeah. She's been behind some serious, um, like, legislation and kind of just public health interventions in general that have yeah. really um, driven the, you know, I would say really made a big changes, big strides in, in our food system. And institutional, you know, institutionally, that's that's true as well. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, okay, so... Anyone like looking towards the future? Because this was the this was the first um, 
uh, of hopefully many. Um, are yeah. there any kind of uh, individuals or, you know, uh, you know, who, who's up and coming, right? Who do you expect to see on the short list for the future? A little sneak oh, peek. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say names <laughs> for the future. I mean, that would be wrong, okay, I feel okay. like. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm, now that we've implemented this list, I'm always thinking about it, of course, and my editors are as well. Um, so we have our eyes peeled. Open you know, to suggestions. It, 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 as we see what's coming down, you know, what's happening, you know, in what's topical, what's happening right now, I think, um, you know, that that will, of course, influence it. And, um, you know, we, we will take nominations. So anyone out there listening, too, is welcome to send us <laughs> their thoughts and their nominations. Great. All right. Well, that is so wonderful. Um, we're going to have to leave it there. But I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so for um, to, to read the article, it is in the September-October issue. Um, you can go to eatingwell.com or look for the magazine online or in uh, Barnes & Nobles and Whole Foods. Um, I want to thank, once again, Jesse Price so much for coming on the show today. I also want to give a big th- uh, thanks to our sponsors for your generous support. Show music is by Tim Archer. And thank you to our engineer, Vita Hirscht. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you like what you hear, let us know in the comments section. Um, always love your feedback. Uh, like, share, follow, and post to us on Facebook and find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.